favorite self-important sports podcast this is scrub hard brush the date is june 11th 1997 it's the day of game five with nba finals between the chicago bulls and the utah jazz star basketball player michael jordan wakes up with a upset tummy he also has chills he doesn't feel good but that day During that game, he records an unbelievable 38 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, and 1 block, including a monster 3-pointer with less than a minute left that gave the Bulls a lead. They never gave up. They won that series. Now, they say MJ ordered pizza in the middle of the night and that he might have had food poisoning. Other people think, hmm, he ordered pizza at 2 in the morning. Sounds like he'd been out partying. Maybe this is the hangover game. Either way, MJ made history, and we're witnessing history here again today. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Mary is here, and she woke up with a sore tummy this morning, too. She didn't feel good, and she thought, I don't know if we're going to be able to do the podcast this week. But now, (laughs) here she is. I I feel like this joke is going to make sense to, like, three people. I'm... What I'm trying to do is a really bad Bill Simmons impression. It's not working. I don't sound like oh, him or I didn't, anyone. I thought it was just a voice you came up with. See, it doesn't make any sense. But, see, but you know what the weird thing is? It's kind of like my dad. Like we'd go to Celtics games, and uh, see, it still it still doesn't sound right. <laughs> but the point remains the same, honey. This is your flu game. Thank you so much. Because you're actually legitimately sick right now. Well, wasn't he legitimately sick? See, you're just being very sympathetic to allegedly sick people, but you are actually sick. So you yes. went out of town on Friday. Yes. You came back on Friday night. You were not feeling well. No, I wasn't feeling great, but I just had a I just had a throat tickle. Mm-hmm. It always starts that way. But then I woke up the next morning. I thought, oh boy, and I told you, I think I'm getting sick. And I usually don't say that because. Then I mm-hmm. then you get sick. Then I spiral. It's all a mental trick. But I knew I was getting sick. I knew this one was kind of inevitable. I've never seen you laid out like that. Yeah, I usually just pretend nothing's happening. But then yesterday morning, yesterday morning, you said, "Oh, I think I have the flu." Yeah. And you you said it like very casually. You're like, mm-hmm. "I'm pretty sure it's the flu." I felt you and your your body was just burning up I and mean, you're really hot and the first you kept kind of denying it you're like that's because it's really hot in here and I was like no honey like your body is like independently <laughs> generating so, a ton of I heat was so hot I totally had a oh, fever you were like every time you t- one time you touched me and it like I, I was like oh my I like startled me awake and you're like no it's just really hot in here and I was like no I don't th- I don't think so then you really scared me when you said that you were like I think I'm gonna go to the doctor today I was like what yeah I never go to the doctor mm-hmm. so that's when I knew it was serious so we went to the cute little clinic last night and they mm. stuck a q-tip up your nose i hated it i started crying because i hate thing. it when people take things from me and it turns out you tested positive for the flu and you didn't realize that you had the flu when we went to see maria bamford on saturday night and potentially yeah. infected everybody Honey! <laughs> i didn't you know what i kept very i didn't i didn't make contact with anybody i kept Mostly, I was huddled in my own scarf. They thought they were just going to be catching dinner in a movie. They didn't know they'd be catching Stop. a virus. But no. If they knew it was like the Mary Lambert signature version of the flu virus. If you didn't get the flu, 
then nobody else got the flu. That's true. I, I also like, have just like an incredible immune system. And I got a prescription for um, Tamiflu. Uh, Tamiflu. Thank yeah. you. Um, but in any case, here we are. Yeah. And I normally like because we're getting this whole episode is about self-care. Mm, yep. And um, how to love yourself. And I, I want to <laughs> I want to. <laughs> This I'm not martyring myself. Good. I have been in bed, resting, fluids, doing everything I'm supposed to Good. for like three days, and I just feel like I I've had my, I've had a little bit of energy, and I just really wanted to do I really wanted to do the podcast. That's great. So we speaking of that have some supporters to thank by way of lying, lying about, about them, and my lie is going to take the form of one big chunk of a lie. One big lie chunk. Um, so uh, maybe you should go first, honey. Yeah, yours is going to be like a lie story. A lie story, yes. Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, really appreciate you diverting from what we're used to doing. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm on my own. Would you rather turn this off and fight? <laughs> <laughs> Are you just okay. too sick to do this properly? Stop. <laughs> to you. Okay. You know who's celebrating something huge today? Who? Raquel. What is Raquel celebrating? Um, Raquel discovered a new frequency of light, actually <laughs> higher than gamma rays. Oh my god! So impressive. That is so cool. Does that seem particularly cool? Like while you're like the fever is so high, you're practically hallucinating. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> um, it's not funny. I'm so sorry, honey. It really did though. At one point, I remember when you your body like brushed against mine in the night a couple of nights ago, and I was like, it feels like you just got out of the microwave. <laughs> So you poor thing. I'm not laughing at your misfortune. I'm just so glad that you're feeling better. And, you and you're nice up. and cool to the touch. I know. Yeah, this is a little bit of a sensory experience for our <laughs> listeners. Our flesh is cool. We're gonna start doing ASMR. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Shella and Rebecca, uh, we just want to say a huge thank you for coming over to our house yesterday and dropping off all of those Girl Scout cookies. Oh uh, yeah. Absolute blessing. Shotgun. All the thin mints. Yep. I'm going to put them on the freezer. <laughs> Why are you saying yep? That means you don't get any. No. Yes, it does. No, that means you shotgun the first one. I thought you meant shotgun like you shotgun a beer. I'm going to have them, and you can have all of the ones from the health food store that have wildlife on the front and don't taste right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the high fructose corn syrup. Thank you very much. Oh, Serena, did you hear about this? No, <laughs> you folks hear about this? You hear about this? Serena just sold her company for $2.2 billion. <gasps> oh, my God. What is it? The That's next incredible. tech unicorn? Um, You know, her company is the one that invented the um the fitted sheet folder. The mechanism. No way. Wow, that's some powerful IP there. That's so smart. Good for... That was Serena? Yeah. Damn. Wow. Way to go, Serena. Oh, and I really wanted to say um to Sam and Mac, <laughs> you know, we saw them at the doctor yesterday, and they were so sweet. I was dehydrated. I felt awful. Yeah. I looked haggard. You did not. You looked great. I'm sorry. That's that's one lie I will not abide. You looked beautiful. Um. Okay, shh. Um, <laughs> they said, oh my God, you look gorgeous. And here's a brand new bottle of Fiji water. What? Just so generous. So thoughtful. You know what? What? That actually made me thirsty. I'm going to drink water. Drink some water. You know what? I'm going to too. Sam and Mac. This one's for you. you. Cheers. Oh uh, yeah. Everybody take a water break. Yeah. Water break. Ugh, it's just like Diet Coke without all the fun stuff in it. <laughs> Oh, and um, Rex is having a great day. But <laughs> oh, he, sweet. But he should be cautious. Why? 
Well, I mean, it could it could go both ways. We don't really know yet. But um, oh no, he figured out how to clone dinosaurs from their prehistoric DNA, <laughs> oh. and he's now creating a giant park where people can visit them. <laughs> I re- I hope nothing goes wrong, my little Tablamanaldo. <laughs> if only there was some precedent for that. <laughs> it's really good. Save us, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Um, I want to say big, big, big props to uh, Sarah and Hope. Um, they were actually on the team. Do you heard about this? Have you? <laughs> <laughs> they used. They actually did this, honey. Listen. Okay, is this real? <laughs> yes, this is real. Okay, about Sarah and Hope, or yeah, about Sarah and Hope. Okay, okay. They used echolocation to figure out where heaven is. Oh my god! Unbelievable. Beautiful, <laughs> y'all. I bet they're going to win some kind of a prize for that. When you were younger, did you think that the only kind of Nobel Prize was the Nobel Peace Prize? Did it blow your mind when you found out there were more? I still... You- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know when you go to the public restroom and there's no more soap, so you just, like, scald your hands real hot and you don't wash them at all, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot to tell you this. What? Um... Do you remember Bobby? I remember him, yes. Yeah, he won a massive award for um, for having the world's kindest eyes. Oh! <sighs> I can just see them now if I close my eyes. Sparkly, sparkly goodness. It's really hard for me when we give our listeners these superlatives that I think you deserve. <laughs> that is so sweet of you to say. You deserve all of them. But you know what? Our listeners are great, too. Then yeah. like... Bam. Okay, so this is a story. Okay, I'm so excited to hear about our eyes. Patreon supporters. Okay, and if you guys donate um, fifteen dollars a month, a month or more to Patreon, you too can get a lie told about you. Sorry, was my energy level low? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, ready? Okay, Pammy and Mia. Pammy and Mia. Remember that time we rented a convertible Mustang and drove from Kansas City, home of the AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs, by the way, they're Super Bowl bound officially, yes. to Miami Beach? And we met Vanessa and Emma at Pane Evino, which is a lovely little Italian spot. <laughs> and we ordered a huge Caesar salad and other apps. And Vanessa said, hey, isn't that Mo and Madeline? Let's all sit together. But the server was like, no, there's no tables big enough for that. And also, it's bruschetta, not bruschetta. Rude. So we rolled down to Chicoa's beach house, where Dana was whipping up a batch of homemade cannoli, while Trisha played Cranberries covers on a ukulele. That was a fantastic road trip. Wow. What did you think of that? I love that. It's a true story. That's where I was for several weeks. That's a great road trip story. It was really fun. Thank yeah. you guys for joining me. Thank you, Patreon supporters. It's so fun to lie about you. It is. You are wonderful to lie about. You're so much fun to lie about. And um, <laughs> we're talking about something that, I mean, I, I think it's part of all of our podcasts. We try to make it part of just our life's mission in general. But mm-hmm. that's talking about self-love. As self-care becomes part of the common parlance, I think sometimes even just defining what it means to love yourself can be tricky. Yeah. Um, But we decided to talk about this because there's some interest in it, especially after the body positivity episode, the body episode. Yeah, absolutely. So what is some ground that you think we could cover in this 
episode. You know, I love talking about things, like, generally speaking, but I also like to give, like, practical sort of advice. Uh And so I think if we can both explore our sort of toolkit for, you know, stuff that's worked for us. But I think also talking about the reasons for for some of these things yeah, happening. Right. I think I think that sometimes gets um, glossed over because the best way I think we can study why why things are the way they are or why you might not feel great about yourself or maybe you have low self esteem. We don't investigate that as much as how do I feel better? Right. You just sure. want to kind of move forward. Yeah. Without kind of investigating why that happened. Definitely. And so that might mean mindfulness about our own experiences or Mm -hmm. our own experience of moving through the world. When I I shared with our listeners that we were going to be talking about uh, self-love and about how to practice Mm self-love, one bit of feedback that there seemed to be a lot of was, well, there's like actual self-love and there's what gets sort of pitched to Mm -hmm. us as self-love from, you know, all these different sources. What do you think is the... What are, what are, like, the false idols of self-love? What do you think gets pitched to us as self-love incorrectly? I was thinking about this recently because I wonder, you know, uh, what's what's uh, the evolving galaxy brain? Oh, uh-huh, that yeah. That sort of meme. I was thinking about this because, like, I think the first brain is sort of, like, ice cream. Bath bombs. Yeah. Um, face masks, things like that. Getting and a then, new dog. Yeah, and then the next one is sort of, like... Uh, actual the hard work, the going to therapy, the doing things that feel uncomfortable, and taking your meds, long term self care. But then I started thinking about this. I'm like, what if the bath bomb is part of it? Like, like it it can be part of your your self care. Yeah, it can be, and maybe that is the thing that you need. And maybe ha- not everybody's healing has to be right the same way. Because I have personally been kind of judgmental about that kind of self-care uh-huh. or parading that as self-care. Maybe it just needs a different sort of... I don't I don't know if this helps for some people. It really helps for me to sometimes do something that I know that feels indulgent and be like, yeah, this is an indulgent. Screw yeah. it. I'm indulging myself right now and yeah. I deserve to. So maybe just... Or I don't, I don't know. Does that frame it in a yeah. way that's not helpful? No, I think... I think... I think that's super helpful. Or, like, treating yourself. I always really like that, too. Yeah, I like that, too. Um, I didn't like... I love the idea of just calling it an indulgence rather than... Like, it doesn't have to be about caring for yourself. It can just be something, like... Because then we start to feel like, well, it's not, you know, I don't need, like, a bubble bath in order to survive. Yeah. But it's also, like, there's more to self-care than that. Well, yeah, but can't you spoil yourself and know that you're doing something special for yourself and yeah. designate that as time that makes you feel good that is in service only of yourself yeah I think I've told you this before but there's a book that uh, my mom used to read to us when we were kids and I'm only just now looking back at sort of the hidden curriculum of children's books because they all had sort of disciplinary messages in them mm-hmm. but it was this book my mom used to read to us called five minutes peace <laughs> and it was about this mama elephant and she had these baby elephants who were just annoying the crap out of her. And uh, she just kept saying, like, please, God, all I need you to do is just leave me alone. And she kept trying to go into the bathroom, into the yeah. bathroom and close the door. And she had, like, a sh- I remember this image of her in a shower cap with the bubbles everywhere. She just wanted five minutes peace. And I was like, oh, okay, I understand why my mom was reading that to us. <laughs> but, um, like, that mama elephant just wanted to practice, like, a few minutes of self-care and yeah. indulgence. Does mm-hmm. she need it? 
No. But is it helpful to like have some time to like regulate your emotions and do something that is legitimately again not a sacrifice of yourself for the sake of anyone else or for your work like i don't know i think that this, i think it's okay to think of them as indulgences yeah yeah but they could also be like if you don't have them you can start to feel like it can exacerbate all of your other that's true store storage stores we're also i think i'm conflating self-love and self-care which are two different things ah, 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 ah. and the questions that we've been getting and the questions that you wanted to know mm-hmm. or the, the questions that you wanted to expand on are actually about self-love mm-hmm. so maybe i can ask you that if we're doing the galaxy brain scale mm-hmm. the regular brain being self-care mm-hmm. what does it take for us to get from self-care to the galaxy brain of self-love uh, great question. <laughs> um, like, what are the steps along the way? Okay, well, I start. I actually started outlining some steps. Great, but I don't know if it fits within the galaxy brain meme. Oh, hey, that's okay. Depart from it. But okay, I I wrote all these down. Great. This is the this is the self love journey from like zero to. Let's see, what? Five. Okay, zero to five. Uh-huh. So, so zero is somebody who has not started this journey at all? Yes. Zero is, I'm fine, nothing's wrong, <laughs> um, while practicing self-destructive behavior and or harming other people. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And okay. so just like totally unaware, mm-hmm. um, in pain, and not recognizing that they're in pain. Gotcha. And I, as I was writing this, I was like, oh, some people stay in these in these places their entire lives. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And just, I, like, I think about people in my life that continually do this. And yeah. there's never an examination. There's never a desire. Like, and I feel like those people, it's so hard to, like, to to witness. Sure. Because you just want to, you just want to save them. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and then step one would be um, uh, recognizing, I feel shitty. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, I, I feel shitty. This is bad. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and I feel like sometimes this person, if they don't further progress out of this mm-hmm. place of I feel shitty, they can be kind of draining to be around sure, and not yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully you take your I feel shitty into the next sort of phase. Right, right. You move but, past that. But it is important to like to to begin your awareness of like what's what you're experiencing well yeah you can't it's 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 hard to i mean yeah like taking stock of what the issue is Mm -hmm. that's i mean i and i think a lot of i'm i'm paralleling a lot of a lot of what you say to stuff that's been written about sobriety which i think is its own sort of self-care journey yeah totally Um, but it always sort of starts with like you have to be able to assess the situation like you have to make sort of like a do an inventory right of what's going on and being honest about that can be really yeah. hard. Well, and I think in this sort of step one of saying I feel shitty, I feel like there are, I'm thinking about people in my life. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm like, I like feel like I'm putting people on blast. You know who just, you are. <laughs> I, there are people who I feel like express this frequently mm-hmm. and instead of examining it further or, or pushing it to its sort of next phase they say help me help me help me i feel shitty 
and it's sort of uh, there's a lot of like outward looking. Yeah. And I don't I hate this. I hate saying this, but it's it's someone who's kind of victimy. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I will always say that, like, they're probably experienced something painful or awful and just feel like things have been done to them that they can't get out <laughs> right, of. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah, sure. But you got to get out of it if you're yeah. if you have any hope for like feeling better. It's like the um, that old saying like if you're playing a game of poker and you can't spot the sucker at the table, <laughs> it's you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if um if 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 stuff keeps finding you, mm-hmm. th- that might be that you're the kind of common denominator. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not always, but yeah. sometimes that could call for some examination. Hey, yes. I've been there. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to recognize that you're you're the you're the uh, the the dingus in the equation. <laughs> Are you talking about me? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, good. Whoever so, smelt it, dealt it. <laughs> so step two uh, would be asking, why do I feel shitty? Okay. Um, so beginning that awareness, learning your own triggers, exploring all sorts of trauma, exploring why things happen to you, or or exploring where um, the shittiness came from, whether it's your parents or home or media, whatever you're consuming, your social media, like uh, whatever it is, at least beginning that, I think that's that first step of like, okay, so what? Kind of isolating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily doing stuff about it. Yeah. So step three would be, how can I stop feeling shitty? Right. And I... This is this was a super, super important step for me to take. This is, I would say, like about 10 years ago, I got to this place. And this is when I started studying my own brain brain chemicals <laughs> of like if I got panicky or I felt started feeling really bad about myself, I would begin to study the actual chemical of whatever it was sending into parts of my body and why mm-hmm. trace back to whatever comment it was that somebody made or whatever thought I had or whatever thing I thought that I did and what path my brain was taking to get there. How can you tell that kind of stuff? How can you tell what's going on with your brain chemicals? That seems sort of like the, you know, the human brain feels kind of like the, I don't know, the bottom of the ocean or something. We just know so little about it and how it works. Yeah, I think you have to reach a sort of kind of homeostasis so you can recognize, like, if you feel bad all the time, then it's really hard to recognize when something bad is going on. Yeah. Um, So being able to isolate those moments of like, well, this is when I feel really bad, I guess. Yeah, right, right. Um, But... I guess it's sort of actually, I mean, that's why I'm really thankful for having bipolar disorder. Yeah. Because I think it allowed me to be like, okay, I feel out of control. Why do I feel out of control? And being able to assess in that way. I think you can do it in small sort of doses of like, when you feel guilty about something or you're hurt by something and what chemical is sent out immediately when you feel hurt by something and where does it go? Uh Um, I think figuring out where it sits in the body was really important to me for some reason. I don't know why, but I guess because for me, I found that different brain chemicals and different emotions went to different parts of my body. So if I felt it in my like solar plexus, I knew it was something having to do with shame. And if I felt that it was going more like into my stomach, it had something to do with, um, you know, 
grief or, or something else. Like, so I think that is actually pretty close to like, I know that I've been in therapy before when therapists have said, when you think about that, where do you feel that in your body? Yeah, like, when exactly. You, when you think about like a memory that makes you anxious or stressed or whatever. So yeah, yeah so not, not totally unheard of. Okay. So being mindful of what emotional, um, how you are, how your body is responding to emotional triggers. Yeah. And like, I feel like sometimes too, my, studying how quickly my thoughts start spinning Uh or why why they're doing that sometimes it feels sparkly or hot Mm -hmm. and why do why does my face get hot it's because you have a fever (laughs) (laughs) i am getting kind of feverish right now are you okay yeah i'm dying so but you so you can you can you could feel those thoughts are associated with a feeling you mm-hmm. feel them like prickling your brain in a particular way or, yeah. or you, you kind of get and so you can assign just getting to know them becoming acquainted with them yes absolutely becoming familiar with your own emotions and your own responses to situations it's hard to yeah it's, it's interesting how um once you start paying attention to it and once you sort of commit yourself to being like a student of how your body responds to stuff you can sort of detach yourself from it in a way and it takes practice to do this Mm -hmm. where you can say okay right now I feel really anxious my palms are maybe a little bit sweaty Mm -hmm. my heart feels like it's racing my chest feels a little bit tight I feel kind of like the walls are closing in okay right what made me feel this way and why might my body be making me feel this way and doing what um, I know that some people who who practice mindfulness will say they'll look at that feeling like it's a passing cloud right like try to detach it from its meaning so that you can observe it. Right, you're on your own scientist. Take right. inventory. Yeah, and say, I wonder why that happens when, you know, when I'm in a social situation and it feels like, why is that? Why do I, ha- why do I have that association with that particular incident? And then I think even if you can't necessarily figure it out, you can at least know, oh, I'm going to be in a situation again where I might have that icky feeling with mm-hmm. the sweaty palms and the anxiety. How can I prepare for that or avoid that situation right. or, you know, relearn ways of dealing with that situation. Mm-hmm. And all of this, of course, and it sure would be great to have like a professional help you with them. Absolutely. But we don't always have that for various reasons. Totally. And I think that's, I, that's a hundred percent why I think this should be common knowledge. This should be common, accessible to everybody for everyone to know because I think it sometimes feels like therapy is the only place that you can get this kind of work done yeah but it's important to to know that you can you can assist your therapist or if you don't have a therapist you can do some of this work yourself you know what's also great really good about living in this day and age is the accessibility and availability of apps that mm-hmm. will let you do things like track your moods. Yeah. I think that's great. I didn't really discover those until I was using an app while we were quitting smoking. Mm-hmm. But it was really helpful for me while we were quitting smoking to track, like, when did I have cravings? What time of day was it? What were my mm. emotions around that? Right. How long did it last? And once I got to know that, I thought, oh, well, when I crave a cigarette, it goes away within about 10 minutes. So yeah. then once I identified that, I knew... Oh, I can handle 10 minutes. That's easy, right? Like, I can absolutely handle that. Um, But then I also learned, oh, I get, you know, I feel like I want one when I'm feeling a little bit anxious Mm -hmm. or when I feel like I deserve when my adrenaline gets kind of high and I want to celebrate. And so I think there are 
though apps that let you do that without it having to be connected to some kind of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all these really cool like journaling apps and mood tracking apps where I think if if one wanted to do this and become sort of a student of their own emotions and behaviors, that might be a good way to to start doing it. To yeah. kind of start keeping track of things. Absolutely. That's such a great, great idea. It's just like the, you know, I, I often think about this. It's like the one democratic, openly available to everybody mental health resource. The only one that you hear about everywhere you turn. The only free one to everybody is the suicide hotline. Yeah. And it's like, uh, until then, you're on your own. And it's like, totally. go- it's like going to the ER. It's like, that's the absolute worst place to go. The yeah. worst place you want to end up is the ER. The last place you want to end up is having to call a suicide hotline. Shoot, I've been there. Yeah. Almost everybody I know has been there. Yeah. But it, it is a progression to that point, right? Yeah. It's all these steps along the way where, of course, it's so helpful to have somebody in your corner and somebody helping you. But a lot of people, I don't even think they know that they need to talk to somebody right. until they sit down and understand what's going on with their relationship with themselves. Right. It's, 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 it's crucial. You don't know what's going wrong until you really know yourself and sort of know what feels right and what doesn't. Totally. You have to have these honest conversations with yourself. Mm-hmm. How are you going to be honest with anybody else if you're not honest with yourself? Yep, yeah. How are you going to have lasting, um, healthy relationships mm-hmm. with other people if you don't know yourself? Yeah. Or if you don't, you don't know how you're going to interact in different situations or if you don't know the shape that your emotions take. And the answer is, for most people, they don't. And yeah. that's why they end up perpetuating cycles of abuse and neglect and and hurting themselves and hurting others and getting trapped in these horrible situations not to be dramatic about it but even on the less dramatic end of that having unfulfilling relationships and feeling alone even when you're not and because how do you know how do you know who you're compatible with if you don't know yourself that's very true but we live i think and, and that's that's the thing too is i feel like we live in the golden age of being able to get to know yourself. There are so many resources available to do it. And don't let people tell you that it's because we're a bunch of millennial snowflakes who, yes, I'm still technically a millennial. My students don't believe me when I say that. No, we're elder millennials. Yeah, we're elder millennials. But I say I'm a millennial and they're like, no, you're not. Like, look it up. I'm on the very, very tippy, (laughs) tippy top, but I am one. But I just, I, and I tell my students this too, and I tell myself this, don't let them tell you that you're soft or this is a self-indulgent generation yeah. or that um, it, it means that you're you're weak or you can't do this on your own. Like, don't let them tell you that. It is yeah. a radical defining aspect of this generation that we're not just getting consumed by a system where our work is not our own, where we're actually taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. That's not I a bad it's thing. Fucking rad. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, no. I think, something to be proud of that we've gotten to this point. And the only people who seem upset or bitter about it are people who didn't have access to that and for some reason can't be happy yeah. for other people. It's like, that's available for you too now, yeah. right? Yeah. There's no... Yeah, I feel like we're the we're the generation of it stops with me. Yes, right. Yeah. You don't... This is, this is the end of the I walked to and from school, you know, in mm-hmm. the snow uphill both ways thing. Yeah. There's no glamour in suffering. Right. You know, there's nothing... There's nothing inherently beautiful about that and I yeah. think that we're all... I think a lot of people are realizing that and that like romanticizing suffering doesn't feel in line with 
the values that we're all, you know, like we're not like necessarily always moving in the direction of progress, but I think on mental health stuff, we are. I think so too. Well, and I think you have to assess what your needs are. Mm -hmm. And if you don't assess and communicate what your needs are, they don't go away. Yes. They get displaced. And if they get displaced, that means you're going to affect somebody poorly. A hundred percent. In a way that you think you think you're sparing somebody because you're being a martyr and you're yeah. like you're like, no, I'm being selfless. If you repeatedly don't take care of your needs, they're going to get pushed away and usually end up creating much more work for for the person that you're trying to help. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Oh, like somebody that like is constantly just throwing their body and mind and going through so much stress to take care of everybody around them. And then they end up getting incredibly sick. Right. And then they have created a system in which nobody can take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of like the like motherhood culture, you know, right. like what, yes. what we what we expect, but also what oftentimes ends up <laughs> happening for the, for moms the the um, maternal figure in five minutes piece yes. in her bath in her shower cap just trying to take a bath exactly yeah every pressurized system needs some sort of a release valve yeah yeah N- nobody benefits from um it's just like the oxygen mask thing totally. again you you are you know and but again i think it's tricky when we really do live in a time when there's still sort of an attitude about this kind of stuff being really self-indulgent. Yeah. Um, Not just self-care, but like self-love being self-indulgent. Yeah. Well, and it's really hard to shed that because I think I still deal with the, with the fear of, of taking up space or taking up time to do something for myself. Me too. You know? Yeah. Yep. It's hard. It's so ingrained in our culture. Yeah. I listened to an interview with Bill Maher the other day, and I don't like him. And uh, he and some other meathead were saying, this generation thinks it's, you know, this generation has this attitude that's like, I am enough. I have to love myself no matter what. I am perfect just the way I am. I'm perfect right now just the way I am. And that's the message. And that's not always the case, you know. And then started talking about the Jillian Michaels Lizzo thing. Oh, God. I was like, here's the thing, though. Yes, Go ahead. No, you go. Uh, no, you please. No, no, no. I was, I was just getting, I was getting excited. I was um, I'm your hype man. That I don't think that's the. I I don't think. To me, it's not a message of you're okay just the way you are. I'm I'm okay just the way I am because that, that's the way that, that he was pitching it. I don't think that that's the message of like self love and self acceptance. I think it's like. I love myself and expect myself so much that I want to push myself to do something that is like not seen as being possible for someone like me to do. Like, I think it's all about having really high expectations and pushing yourself. And I don't think it's about that. He was sort of casting it as, as like lazy, complacent, indulgent, even though I think indulgences are good, but you know what I mean? Like that it just meant, you know, I don't have to do anything. I don't expect anything of myself. Nobody should expect any more from me. I just want to be celebrated exactly as I am. First of all, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. But I'm gonna I would even strip it even further of all that negative connotation by saying I think it's it takes a lot of work, in fact, to exercise real radical self-love. Absolutely. And it's not about complacency and it's not about laziness. And as much as it is is about yourself, it's it is just as much about accepting other people's needs and limitations and expectations and desires and recognizing those and elevating those. Like 
it's a project that naturally naturally makes you more empathetic and more open to other people's experiences and willing right. to help other people. Um, I don't see it as being a selfish project. Right. Like you said, it makes you better in the world, right? It makes yeah. you better able to function in a healthy way in the world. Absolutely. And I think getting to that place requires sweat equity. Like it requires really putting work into it. It's in the vein of, of self-betterment. Yeah. Like it's in, it's in pursuit of yeah. wanting a fuller, better life. Yeah. I just, I think there's just this mentality that if, if you have, if you don't fit the mold of what's deemed acceptable by society or whatever, if, if whether it's a beauty standard or, or something else, you're supposed to sit in the shame and you're supposed to just sit in it yeah. and, and keep working to fit in it. Uh-huh. And if you don't, then you, you need to, you need to put your head down right? and, and don't. Don't, don't ruin, show it. Yeah. Don't ruin it for the pretty people. Right. Yeah. And is it, <laughs> so is that, uh, you mentioned step three is how do I get, how do I stop feeling shitty? Yes. So instead of just putting your head down and not making noise, yeah. what is, what, how do we get past that after we start asking questions about what we can do? Yes. So step three would be, how can I stop feeling shitty? And step four is how can I begin to feel positive? Ah. So I think there's this sort of liminal space between, how do I stop feeling shitty and how, how do I start feeling positive right. of like going from self-hatred to self-love? Yeah. It's, there's, there's a process, you know, it's not some, you just turn on a light switch and you figure it out. Right. But I think if, if you can stop hurting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and stop feeling bad and just start to feel normal or regular, right. that's great. You're like, you're, you're killing it. Yeah. So if step three is how can I stop feeling shitty? Step four is how can I begin to feel positive? And so what I think of this is like a a process, you know, you don't just go from completely hating yourself to unconditional self-love overnight. Right. Exactly. We, we start by kind of cutting out the things that are affecting us poorly, whether those are relationships or Mm -hmm. maybe a job that doesn't serve us or, or habits and behaviors that we have that are, that are hurting us without, you know, once we've sort of isolated what those are or those being negative thought patterns. So the step after that would be how can I begin to feel positive, which is implementing positive things, whether that's like, you know, joining a, a, a choir yeah. or doing things uh, that that make you feel good that right. can kind of contribute to that net positive of, of good feelings. Right. Totally. Yeah. And then I would say the, um, and then, I mean, obviously like all of those steps to stay in that spot, your the rest of your life. Fuck. Yeah. 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 But I would say step five is the Nirvana is the, how can I help others to feel positive? Totally. Yeah. And so what, but what I think is a concern is when somebody skips any of those steps and I feel like you can find people that are still like doing harmful, negative things. Yeah. Going to like step five thinking oh, that they're sure. like, I can help. I can help. Yeah. Totally. Or like I learned one thing and now I'm going to tell everybody uh-huh, about right, it. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really important to do all of that work first, to do all of the exploring, to go through that entire process in order before you before you start 
trying to help other Definitely. people. Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. And so what can you, you mentioned sort of isolating things that are making you feel bad and removing them from your life. I, I and of course I, I'm totally in favor of that, but you mentioned something I think that is not, okay. How about this? There are some relationships I think that are harder than others to escape when they are negative. And I'm not even mm-hmm. talking about romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like rom- relationships with your family, family yeah. that you can't really change yeah. like while you're growing up or, you know, increasingly sure. people living with their parents and or living sure. with siblings or whatever and not really being able to get out of it or a job um, that isn't, you know, isn't maybe making people happy. There are, you know, I, I think m- Often that's not possible for people, at least not right away. So what are some things, and I'm not asking you to be like the guru of all of this, because we can talk about it together. I'm just trying to guide the conversation, okay? Um, <laughs> but, uh, what could what what are some things that you can do in, in the service of self-love with, in a situation that you can't change? What I, I just want to make one thing really clear is what I have found for some people that say, I I can't change these situations. I can't change my workplace. I can't change um, the fact that I have to be around my family. I have to see them. They expect this of me. I think that there are some self-imposed rules that we have created in our lives where we say, it has to be like this. I have to see my family three times a week and I am... And after I see them, I feel like I'm going to die. Right, right. Where I think you do have to examine what your boundaries are going to be. Totally. And yes, like, if, if for you, it's like, I, I do, I want my family in my life in some capacity, but I don't want to see them three times a week and learning what those sort of... Absolutely. What those boundaries are. Yep. And I do believe that there are people that feel that they are trapped in jobs that aren't like they're so discouraged to the point that they don't even look for other jobs right. because they feel like that's the only possible thing they can have. Or they accept things that are not acceptable and that they could change if they felt comfortable voicing that or speaking up for themselves yes. or um, taking it through the right channels. And I'm not saying, I don't say that to mean like everybody who's unhappy in their job is doing that to themselves. Yeah. But I do think it's a system that's designed to make you feel like the problem is you and that's not always the case. Totally. And there are so many things I think that you can build into your routine at work or into your environment at work or the people who are sort of in charge can help you with. Like you don't have to unaccept you know, you don't have to accept a poor standard of treatment just because it's your job, right? right like, right. I, I hope to empower everyone to speak up for themselves and advocate for their needs no matter what the situation is. Right. Um, I, yeah, what I would say is just exhaust every possible uh, line of feeling good within yeah. your power and control. Turn over every stone, yeah. every possibility you can to that that is within your power to do so. Yeah. You know, I have had lots of crappy jobs and um I know that I've had to, you know, like sort of systematically build in little like, you know, release valves or little like escape patches or like I couldn't do anything to make the actual work environment better. So I had to build in sort of like things throughout the day that made me feel okay about it. Or 
even like during my breaks, I would make plans for the future or look for mm. other jobs or totally um, try to improve a relationship with like one coworker that I thought might be sort of an all right person, yeah. you know, um, to kind of like look for those little glimmers where you can find them. Because the way I always think of it is if you want to be negative, there is and I, I don't mean to say that because I can hear like people in my head to have told me before, like, just be positive, just be happy. And totally. like, oh my God, I have a mood disorder. But um, <laughs> I think if you tend toward negativity, you'll find like an entire world of negativity with open arms that is just ready to indulge every oh, negative yeah. thought you have. And it's it's crazy how well it fits into like once there's that sort of like patina on everything, it's so easy for everything to be in sort of like grayscale like that. Yeah. I think it's much harder to say, but so much more worthwhile to say, you know, that one, this one person at work makes me absolutely miserable, but there's this one guy who's like interesting stories to tell. And he always says good morning to me. And mm. you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, you know, the, the next time I go on my lunch break, I'll ask him if he wants to join me or I don't know, even just like going for a, a going for like a five minute walk outside or, um, you know, taking a few minutes to text a friend or, you know, I, I think there are like routines of kind of escape and, um, like little moments of relaxation and of self-care that you can sort of like build into your schedule if you make them a priority, right? Um, Or meditation. Every time I meditate, I'm like, God damn it, why don't I do this more often? Mm. It's one of those weird things where you're like, once I do it, I see the value in it. I feel this way about exercise. Yeah, absolutely. For a while, every therapist I had was like, just move your body, go exercise. I wanted to be like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Like, Everything hurts, I don't want to do that. Then once I did it, I'd be like, God damn, this feels good. That's why they always talk about this totally but yeah meditation is one of those things too that feels you know I feel guilty about doing it it feels super indulgent and I'm like there are a million other things I could be doing right now but then afterwards I'm like oh I see the value in that mm-hmm. was like actually disciplining myself to feel like it's okay to not be like on all the time mm-hmm. in fact and this is I think the whole point of self-care and of like the larger project of self-love is that it makes you like a better participant in society to be good to yourself yeah one of the dogs farted and it is apocalyptic. is it really it's disgusting oh cool fact i don't have a sense of smell right so, so. i have to like I have to, I have to announce to you when one i of never farts. i never know this is what i used to do at work which is just think about like i would just i loved going through my budget yeah I, like as i'm at work i'm just even if i'm busy i'm thinking about okay like this this check of this week is going to go to this bill. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, that's stress that I don't have to think about. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, that's why I'm there. Yeah. I'm there to. So there is, um, you know, Albert, I'm going to say his name and you can help me say it the Frenchy way that it was intended. Albert Camus. Mm -hmm. Yes. Camus, French philosopher, novelist, existentialist, who, uh, one of my favorite quotes of his in a work of his called The Myth of Sisyphus. And of course, Sisyphus is the character from Greek mythology who is doomed to roll the huge stone up the hill over and over and over and over again. And when he gets to the top, it rolls all the way back down and he has to push it back to the top just for eternity. He's doomed to doing this. But he gets really strong. Right. Uh-huh. Everyone loves him. Yes, absolutely. Well, but he is buff. <laughs> but so Sisyphus, in The Myth of Sisyphus, Camus has this beautiful line where he says, we must imagine Sisyphus happy. Ooh. And he writes in the myth of Sisyphus, we're all Sisyphus, right? Mm. In a way. 
in our like stupid little jobs and cubicles or whatever we're doing, we're all rolling a stone up the hill and it rolls all the way back down <laughs> to push it up again. But he says where that becomes torture is when you stop and think about it. So actually it's like this, you know, incredible feat of stoic philosophy for Sisyphus to be happy and just be like, you know what? Fuck it. This is my lot in life. Like I'm, I'm, I've accepted it. I've accepted my fate. This is okay. So he says, most of the time Sisyphus is cool with that. And we could find, you know, we can find some comfort in that. Yeah. Now on the very other end of the political spectrum, I've never connected this before. I bet somebody has, but I've, it feels like groundbreaking stuff. Stupid libertarian jerkwad Ayn Rand. I knew you were going to see this Atlas, right? Yeah, Atlas right? Shrugged, yeah. yeah. The, the, the whole basis of Atlas Shrugged is, um, like, you know, all of the, the titans of industry, if they were to just stop doing what they do, the whole world would grind to a halt on its axis. So she says, what would be the most selfish thing that Atlas could do would be to shrug. And she's encouraging that, in fact. Mm-hmm. Camus would say, oh, no, 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 Atlas. That, accepting your fate, there's something beautiful in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Where was I going with Sisyphus? So I think that there, I think there are, like, the, if maybe, like, between Sisyphus and Atlas, the, the truth, truth lies. lies. Yeah. yeah. Or between Camus and Ayn Rand. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere between those two, <laughs> the truth lies. It's like a... George Carlin was talking about license plate mottos one time when he talked about Idaho being famous potatoes and um, New Hampshire's live free or die. die he yeah. said somewhere between those two, <laughs> the truth lies. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think setting boundaries is important. I think, I mean, there's just so many ways you can imp- implement like positive yeah. changes. Like accepting, and to some extent, I do think it's helpful to, you know, to do what Camus said and like, I don't know, kind of zone out or like accept that some parts of your job suck and some don't. Like, I do think there is power in that, like in the, in, in achieving that kind of stoicism yeah. and acceptance. But I do think there's a time to be like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Like yeah. you said, setting a real boundary and saying um, like, you know, this doesn't serve me anymore and it might put me in you know, in, in financial peril, but I have to, you know, uh, or, you know, I don't know, it might distance me from my family or whatever it is. Sorry. I know. Am I crossing wires? No, no, no. no. I think that's exactly the same, but you have to do a cost benefit analysis of your mental health. Right. Right. And like, yes, like, let's say you have, you have children, you have a family, let's say you're the sole provider yeah, and you can't just like up and leave your job, but maybe there is a, a, a position that you can take that does pay less that affords you to be far less stressed with your children. Yeah. Or if you find that you're taking it out on them or if you find that you're taking it out on your spouse. Yeah. And maybe you have to live with the belt a little bit tighter. Um, but it ultimately benefits everybody. I don't yeah. think there's a single, um, you know, child in all of us that says, oh, I wish my parents would have worked more right. or that I, yeah, those, um, those new shoes were really important to me and I would have rather had that than spending time with my parent or well, had like, what, what were the shoes? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you gave me, that was, a, that was ice. But I think though that, um, because I do think that what you're saying is doing like an inventory of mental health. One of the reasons I think that's important is because I do think there's like a wherever you go, there you are element to mm-hmm. consider here. Yeah. Uh, where I think like deciding 
this process you're talking about of like, what is it that's making me unhappy? One of the reasons that's such an important step is because you might find that like problems will follow you wherever you go because the problem is not with the job or the relationship or whatever it is. Um, It reminds me of somebody's when I was going down this rabbit hole of looking at a bunch of financial advice a couple of years ago, there was someone who said, if you have problems managing your money, you, you cannot solve that problem by making more money. The problem is your ability to manage it. So no matter, no matter how much money you make, you're going to, you're going to be in the same situation over and over and over again. I think kind of that's the case with, um, like sort of the, you know, like budgeting your energy and your expenditures, in terms of your mental health. Totally. At some point, you're going to find yourself in the same situation over and over again because there's these like background applications that are running. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think a lot of it has been like old childhood stuff that I hadn't really totally worked out yet mm-hmm. in therapy. And the more I work it out in therapy, it's like I've closed background apps where I'm like, oh, I feel better because I'm not running all this excess energy. Wow. Like trying to make sense of stuff that I'm not totally aware of. But I think it looks different for different people. That's so real. I love the way you phrase that. That's fucking cool. Thank you, hon. Wow. Thank you, honey. What is one simple, practical thing everyone can do today? What is one thing people who are listening can do to better love themselves or on the path of self-love? Great question. I have one. Yeah, lay it on me. And this is actually something that I know a lot of people have touched on um, in other sort of spheres of self-love and self-talk and things like this. But I learned about it from Annie Grace, the this naked mind that I always talk about when I was uh, when I was beginning my journey towards sobriety. And um, she said to be really aware of how you're talking to and about yourself to really think and to notice without any judgment, what is my own sort of monologue about myself and about my behavior? And if you had to code it positive or negative, how would you code it? And so I started paying attention to that and would just like record on a voice memo on my phone. Um, times when I'd say like, you know, Oh, well, you know, I don't know how I'm going to go without a crutch because I'm, I'm a really weak person. And half the time when I'd interrogate it, I'd be like, I don't even believe that. Totally. It was like I learned a template from somebody and I just stuck it into my own brain. But I'm like, I don't even believe I'm, I've never believed that in my life. Who the fuck is saying, like, where is this coming from? Exactly. I think that's what we, once you start investigating, and I think that comes with the investigative part of that process of like, (laughs) our dogs are snoring now. So cute. Once you start investigating that process, and you start analyzing that self-talk, you start to realize this sort of negative voice or this negative um, ticker that's going on in my, in the background that has gone unnoticed for so long. Isn't me. Right. Who does it, where does it come from? Right. And where was that planted? Right. Right. Time and, and what situation? Totally. And how can I isolate that? So at least I can understand it. It's like when, when, you know, when somebody tells you, uh, when somebody tells you their perception of you in a positive way, like somebody at work says, you know, I noticed the way you put that in that meeting. And I, and I was really impressed by that. Or I don't know, a friend who tells you, you know what I really admire about you. And you're like, I wish I had known that before because I have had this totally different story going on in my head about myself. Yeah. And then once you can snap out of it, though, you're like snapped out of it. Like, yeah. I, I think it's just like piece by piece. If you can chip away at those fictions. Yeah. And realize that they're not coming from you. Like, no. that's a lot of the times they're not. And if they are, it's likely somebody else's voice that is taking up 
residence in yeah. your head. Um, and I think there are, of course, um, there's a difference between like stuff that you legitimately need to work on and negative self-talk. And I think often it just takes pausing and sitting with it and reflecting for a moment yeah. and deciding like, is that true? Like, is that, does that have any bearing in reality? Yeah. Right. Um, and I think some investigation will sort of bear that out. Like, yeah. I don't know. I used to be really irritable and get really impatient with people. And I had to be honest with myself and be like, I have a tendency to get really irritated really easily. Mm. I need to, I need to work on that. But then something like, Oh, I'm going to need a crutch because I'm weak. And you're like, wait, wait a second. You know, like when something like that comes out and you're like, That's, yeah. that doesn't feel right. Totally. I would also in that sort of trust the elasticity of the brain. Yes. Trust your ability to evolve. Yes, absolutely. Trust, trust that you can you are are malleable and that's not a bad thing. Yes, right. The fact that we evolve and grow and learn and change and, and uh, you know, that progressives are the way they are is because we empathize and, yeah. and, and you hope that that happens. Absolutely. I was just, I was thinking about this when I was taught, I, I gave a clinic a, a couple weeks ago at, um, at Berkeley and I was talking with um, one of the professors about these promises that we make when we're young that we feel like we have to honor. Do you know what I mean? Like, I promised myself that um, I would never take any part of my job or career for granted, which is a, a promise I'm, I'm glad that I kept. But I also promised myself that I was going to do everything I could to be the most successful, top of my career, top of my game, no matter what. We grow. You learn things. You, you can't commit yourself to a promise that you made when you were young because you don't know the circumstances that you end up in sure exactly yeah um and you hope that you you know you trust your future self yeah i just but i just feel like people really get they get fixated on an idea that they had at a certain time that either they had to be married by the time they were you know 30 or they had to have kids at a certain time and they so you end up feeling like a failure if you haven't (laughs) achieved this thing that you promised yourself fuck that like things change and those are things that a bunch of fucking people made up have like hallucinated together like the idea that it's like better to be skinny is something that we've uh, it's a collective hallucination yes that for some reason we've all agreed to and all of the media around us reinforces that but somebody just made this shit up and you have the power to change that story the way that it works in your own life exactly can we address the lizzo yeah julian mike it's half your podcast because well i just think we have had some really interesting conversations about it and i would love to bring it yeah please here yeah absolutely let's do it um, so can we fill people in? Yes. Um, so, uh, Jillian Michaels, who is what fitness, fitness bitch, uh, <laughs> fitness, famed fitness asshole, Jillian Michaels, <laughs> um, was on, um, Buzzfeed's AM to DM show and said, um, Lizzo came up and she was like, yeah, Lizzo is awesome. I love her music. I don't know why we all have to keep talking about her body. And the host was like, well, I think it's kind of cool to, you know, see someone who looks like her, like, you know, celebrating her body and advocating for self-love. And Jillian Michaels is like, 
Yeah, I mean, I think she's awesome. I just don't think it's going to be so awesome when she gets diabetes. Like, I don't know why we all have to celebrate her body. That's Is that a fair summary? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then she actually sort of weirdly doubled down on it. Yeah, she did. Um, And doubled down on it on Instagram. It was like, trust me, I'm a health expert. Like, obesity, diabetes, you know. And what was your response? Well, first, like, just complete fury. Like, I was just, I was infuriated. I just felt like I get that hot rage where I almost feel like I, and I still, I, I didn't know if I wanted to talk about it because I don't know how articulate or eloquent I can be when I'm so angry about uh-huh. something and somebody's so wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like I quite have the vocabulary for why they're wrong. Right. I just know in my heart that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because I don't have the credentials. If I were, if I were a doctor or if I were somebody that had the credentials to back up what I know in my body and in this community to be true. Right. I feel I would, I would love to, to carry that torch and to, to have like facts, you know, Uh but I can say that, when we discuss fat people in this way, it perpetuates a real harmful narrative that it perpetuates shame and everything that we're we're trying to get rid of, everything right. that we're trying to reverse. Well, and it's 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 all with with Jillian Michael specifically, it's all shrouded in um oh shit, what's that term? Like this posturing about like caring about other people's health, Mm -hmm. which I'm like, here's the thing. Even if that's true, even if there are health, there there are health issues associated with being overweight. Here's the thing. Still shut the fuck up. (laughs) That's what I think. That's the point. I think that she's chiefly missing is that we talk about fatness and about fat, fat bodies in a way that is totally unacceptable to talk about any other aspects of being alive mm-hmm. and um, that like it is it's like really harmful for people to continue talking about people yeah. that way, even if it is couched in this bullshit language of medicine and caring for people's health and all this shit. It's caustic and mm-hmm. um, does does real damage. Am I off the mark? No, because that's what you said before to me is like that that pushes this idea that like there's a moral imperative for people to just because it makes Jillian Michaels uncomfortable. I should be healthier. Yeah. Well, and I, w- I want to try. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to take a foray into talking about health and talking about it in a, in a clinical context. Okay, go for it. In this case, and specifically what Lizzo does, her breath control, her, her performances on stage, what she does, what she's capable of doing is phenomenal. It's what Jillian Michaels does, but Lizzo does it with her body weight. Yeah. Like, fuck that. It's like, that's Jillian Michaels carrying another Jillian Michaels. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, cause when we talk about like fat people hiking or like when I, when I hike and go up a hill, I'm carrying like a normal, it's like a normal person carrying another person. Yeah. So yes, like I, I'm, I understand for, uh, you know, the, the medical community saying that there are these issues with, with weight, with obesity, 
I don't, I hate even saying obesity. It doesn't, it doesn't feel, (laughs) it feels like a, like a, a fairy word. It's not real. Right. Um, there are you there's no way to determine health in that way right because you don't know what um you don't know blood pressure you don't know cholesterol you don't know what the intake is you don't know what um what the exercise level is the the joint health the um what kind of fat cells are being used yeah and i would venture to say that you know more people are malnourished than than overnourished and I think a lot of times when people are talking about, you know, fat people that have more health complications than than other people, I think those fat people tend to be malnourished. I think we're talking about a malnourishment because they don't have, you know, the proper nutrients. Yeah. But that same thing happens for really thin people. Yes. They're malnourished. They're not getting the yeah. right kind of nutrients. So I just think that what happens for fat people is that oftentimes we don't have the, um, it's a, it's a activity is harder to achieve. Right. Because it's, it's just harder to move the body in sure. that way. Yeah. And I honestly think that if there was more, you know, if, if there was more acceptance and we, we did have a, a celebration of, um, of our, of our bodies, we would be more inclined to go to the gym. We would be more inclined to work out in public right. and to move in a way that other people did. You know what? I'm realizing if Jillian Michaels actually gave a shit, mm-hmm. if she actually cared about people's health, mm-hmm. What she would ask, she would express that she cares about how people feel, mm-hmm. not about these, you know, like, what is it that Jamila, what's her name? Jamila Al-Jamil. What is it that Jamila Al-Jamil said? Like, what, what, how is, how is Jillian Michaels an MRI machine all of a sudden? Yes. yes. Um, if she wasn't, she wasn't talking about how people feel. She was talking about the health consequences of something that she feels like she is observing. Right. And, um, I feel like if that were actually rooted and really giving a shit, but in talking about it, what she doesn't realize is that you, you can't, the, the, the discourses are like inextricable from each other now. So any of this discourse about like unhealthiness and diabetes and all this other stuff is tied in with this other narrative about, shame and you should hate yourself because of how you look and your body is unattractive and unappealing and those two you can't untangle those two now so like best case scenario it's somebody being totally clunky and insensitive and careless about how they're talking about people at worst they're making really fucked up assumptions about people's health Mm -hmm. um but here's the galaxy brain version of this shit yeah lay it on me because i i don't know i say that as you know as as somebody who's playing armchair quarterback here but the I think the galaxy brain evolution of this is I have an impulse to say, don't talk about Lizzo's health. Lizzo has physical stamina you could only dream of. I think the galaxy brain version of that is it would be okay even if Lizzo couldn't stand up out of a chair. Yeah. You still don't have a right to fucking talk about it. You still need to shut the fuck up. Exactly. And I feel myself putting a value judgment on something that other people might say, like, well, I'm, I'm as big as Lizzo and I can't, I, you know, I, I can't move or like, you know, I think about people who are, who have physical ailments who, you know what I mean? I just, I yeah. think putting a value on, I think the further galaxy brain version of that is like, let's dismantle this like sort of structure that roots our value and our vis- ability to be like physically productive. Yeah. It's incredibly ableist. 
Thank you. Yes. yes. Right. That uh, every time I catch myself, in fact, listening back to one of our podcasts, you we were talking about um, people don't know how strong I am. I'm really strong. Like I move every day and like mm-hmm. I eat really well and I, I, I don't eat fast food. You didn't say anything that wasn't true about yourself. Yeah. There's this part of me that wanted to, listening back to it, I wanted to scream like, but it would be okay exactly. if you didn't. It exactly. would be okay if well, you that, had fast food for every fucking meal. Totally. That I completely agree with you. And I do think that that is, the, I feel like this is the moral quandary I have with most social topics is that we can focus on like the actual debate at hand, which is tends to be like a narrow a narrow conversation because it really has to do with just looking usually at things in a binary of like, it's either this or this, or you can zoom out and say, Oh no, the whole thing is like, (laughs) fuck, Uh you know, like I think we could, we do that with sort of with, with gender stuff with like, I don't know. There's just a million things where I'm like, well, yeah, like the, the future is female. Okay. But the future is like, everything right and right like what is female and right. you know like asking all of these sort of questions right and zooming out further and uh, sorry but I think for some people that aren't that can't even hear that they reject the notion because it's so far out of what their right idea of what of their box yeah I feel like it's important to engage them in just little ways yeah. of like challenging yeah. what they think because if they don't hear it in a in a way that makes sense to them, they can't get to that sort of right. next step. And I would also keep in mind these kind of ideas, these collective hallucinations that we all have can change. Mm-hmm. It was within like our grandparents' lifetimes I say that all my grandparents are dead. Um, It was not that long ago that like doctors and hospitals were smoking cigarettes and shit. Right. You know, like when we learn stuff, we learn it. It happens fast. Yeah. And it is not unfathomable to think that the conversation going on about this will look a lot different in like 10, 15, 20 years. So in a lot of ways, sometimes I think, well, we're just like suffering through a period of time where like people feel this way, but they're going to, we're going to get wise to it eventually. Yeah. And you can kind of think of yourself as being part of like the avant-garde of thought, you know, like I'm just, I'm just ahead of the curve and eventually people are going to catch up with me. But we were just talking about this as we were watching the Real Housewives tonight. You know, the characters on the show will just like, agonize over Ugh. eating mouthfuls of food. I mean, like a, this massive, like cheese wheel full of delicious pastas making the rounds. <laughs> it's at this, amazing. At this wedding reception. And, um, all of them to a person are like, Oh man, I really want somebody shouldn't or like, Oh, forget it. I'm just gonna, you know, I, I just barely fit into this dress, but I'll have some anyway. Like they all have this just agonizing, I think mostly performative conversation about it. Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, where it's like they have to enact this feeling of feeling guilty about it. I think they do feel guilty about it, but I think there is another half of it where they have to put on this show. They have about, to show, yeah. Right, that they're attentive to it. Um, and I think about it while they're all like downing margaritas and wine and shit. <laughs> and I think about Annie's book, not to pontificate about this naked mind again, but I just can't help it. She pre- presents study after study after study of like actual verifiable scientific research that the consumption of alcohol causes heart disease. It causes cancer. It's particularly harmful for women. Um, it's been linked to just this litany of health problems. I mean, it, alcohol is one of the deadlier things we have in society today, but just socially in that context, 
it's not acceptable to go to go up to one of them and start talking about the risks of like heart disease. Right. Totally. It's just so the way I think about it is maybe in maybe in 20 years, it'll we can have that conversation publicly. Mm-hmm. Maybe in 20 years, we'll look back and we'll be having the conversation about alcohol publicly. And we'll be talking about people who are overweight differently. Mm-hmm. Like we'll be talking about fat bodies differently. We will understand that there is no one correct, healthy way of being in the world. And that even if there were, it's nobody's imperative to achieve that. Totally. But I don't know. I just, I like, sometimes it comforts me to think like, and I think as a queer person too, I have to kind of get used to this. These discourses shift, Sure. you know, and we've seen in our lifetime, how much has have public discourses about being gay and, or being queer shifted monumentally. Um, so, and the conversation will change, I think. So if it ever feels like you're just being drowned out by 150 Jillian Michaels or other noted assholes saying differently, I'd look at the backlash, like look at the response, like look at people who are calling her out on her shit. And I, I, I would focus on them instead of the, like whatever that original statement was and try to like make that chorus bigger, you know, Um, that's how conversations change. Well, and I think too, what, uh, what the important uh, thing to combat within her argument is she's saying she, and she kept trying to stress that she's like, I don't, my whole thing is I don't care about, I don't want to talk about her body. I don't think her body is something we should glorify. I want to talk about her music. I don't understand why her body is something we should celebrate. And so what I think my wishes is the there's a the reason we celebrate this the reason we celebrate Lizzo's body and people that look like that look like her that look like me like performing on stages is because it shatters the construct of who has power of who gets the who gets the prize it matters that she's fat it absolutely matters it makes a and trying to erase that difference is like when people are like i don't care i don't see color i don't care if you're black white purple i'm like oh but it it really really does it absolutely does if you tell a person of color it doesn't matter to me that you're black i bet their response is probably like well it matters to me like it does matter yeah and like that kind of representation i don't know why we put this that this kind of stock in like your output matters. It doesn't matter who you are. Like, let's like this, this idea of like erasing difference being something that's good. Mm-hmm. I've never understood that impulse, but I don't think like erasing the fact that Lizzo's fat is useful. I don't think yeah. that's good. I think that's actually har- harmful. Hurtful. Totally. Well, and I think, I think that there are some artists that prefer to be sort of anonymous people making music and really just want it to be about the sound and not pull their identities into it. Yeah, she is exactly. But when you are a performer and you're front and center and you're making your identity known, it is, it's so important to acknowledge that, to be a part of that conversation about why it's being celebrated. Yeah. And, and there's just, I I think the, the reason we celebrate it is because so many people are hurting yeah that are in that 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 have a body like that and have been made to feel that they aren't worthy or or valuable or can or can offer you know society something good or sexy or have like millions of people's eyes on them or whatever it is yeah exactly I don't know why I brought up those two. No, but yeah, that's exactly it. No, it ma- it absolutely matters. Yeah. Yep. It matters. It matters. And yeah. it's so funny. I feel like finally we're making a little bit of headway 
in that conversation as far as race goes, where like mm-hmm. I think most people, if you'd ask them, like, did it matter that Barack Obama was black? Mm-hmm. I hope to God they'd say, yes, that mattered. Yes. That made a huge fucking difference for people of color in this country, in the, yeah. in the world. Yes, yes, yeah. it does matter. I don't know, though. I can imagine some people saying, well, see, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. The same people who would say no are fucking Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. It's just true. I hate that yeah. colorblind shit. Yeah. Um, anyway. I, one other thing that I want to say in terms of bringing, you know, bringing this back to something um, t- tangible that you can take home, you know, an, a- another thing you can do to start feeling positive if you're starting, if you're just starting on sort of a journey to self-love is really take a microscope to your social media accounts. Yeah. Really start take stock of who you're following and why you're following them. Yeah, totally. And realize that it's, it's the same way. It's your, it's, it's you, it's your virtual self. It's an extension of you. Right. And that, and that friends list on on your Instagram, that, 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 however many people you follow on that list, that's the company you're keeping. Yeah. And why, why are you, why are you keeping that company? You know, if you, if you, want to start feeling better about your body or uh-huh. about who you are, maybe start following people that look like you. For the love of God, yes. Or or if you're feeling like maybe you just got a bipolar diagnosis or maybe you just got like, maybe you just figured out that you're gay, follow a bunch of like hot gay accounts. Yeah, like, totally. I don't know. Like, yeah. I actually have a question for you that came from one of our listeners, um, one of our Patreon supporters, actually, Dana who gave me permission to use her name and her story. Um, So Dana lost weight due to changes in her diet that she made um, based on sort of the criteria you talked about in the body positivity episode, Mm -hmm. um, based on sort of how she felt and how she could feel her body responding to those changes. And as a consequence of that, she ended up being vegan. And um, then she incorporated more movement to her routine. It made her feel better. So there are those positive changes. And then... She uh, went through an unexpected divorce and was experiencing depression and anxiety and lost a lot of weight. Mm. So she says that, quote, these results and she put results in quote in quotes. Um, I, I'm, and I think what she meant by putting it in quotes is like these weren't ne- desirable, like she wasn't trying to achieve these results, yeah. which is what happened. Um, stemmed from a weird combination of improved self-love rapidly followed by poor mental health. It was not intentional, unquote. Um, but now she says she's getting all this praise from friends and family for her weight loss and how great she looks and like, oh, you're the skinny one now and all this kind of stuff. Um, and she says that it puts her right back into this internalized fat phobic mindset while she's mm. trying to love herself as she is. Mm. And as sort of a byproduct, she says that people assume that she's always looked that way. So she feels like she can't be like a credible voice for body love anymore. That, And she even said in her message to me, she felt like a fraud. Ugh. But what I kind of wanted to focus on in her story was... Um, I just thought it was a really interesting intersection of a lot of this, like a lot of these ideas we've been talking about on the podcast of like, of, of your own journey towards self-love and how to engage with other people when it comes to your body and, and your own mental health and things like this. And one of the things she asked was, how do I respond when people are praising me for losing weight when it's actually something that for me is kind of fraught Ooh. and not something I tried to do? Yeah. Um, and also, like, how does she sort of see herself as part of, like, this movement or this discourse away from, you know, uh, like, policing one's body and stuff sure. like that? What do you think of that? Well, I first want to say that I don't know if, if 
I've ever said this explicitly, but the body love and body positive movement isn't just for fat people. Right. And so we primarily talk about it because that's the community I'm a part of. And I feel like that's the community that's generally harmed most, most generally from um, the, you know, modern beauty standards. But body love is for everybody. Every, everybody experiences some form of this, of this terror that everybody's live. Everybody's liberated. We're free from it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You are not a fraud. If you are, if you are loving yourself as you are today. Yeah. And so it's important to, to recognize that no matter where you, um, where you came from on your journey to where your body is right now, that's not, that's not what matters. Right. None of that, none of that shit matters. Right. It matters. It matters where you are right now. And who you speak up for mm-hmm. and how you interrupt bonding around oppressing other people. Exactly. And how you are explicit and vulnerable about your story, which it sounds like she is. Yes. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that's what matters. I would venture to say, and I, I don't know how co- comfortable Dana would feel doing this, um, but I would... If I was in that position and I had people saying, wow, you look so good. You, wow, smoking body, you're the skinny one now. I would, I would venture to confront that and say, actually, my weight loss is uh, actually because I was incredibly depressed and I, I actually, um, it, it doesn't make me feel good. And, you know, like, <laughs> right. like, and, and when you said that, it, 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 um, it, it made me feel weird or yeah. right, right, right. And, um, and yeah, I maybe interrupting like, it being like this universally good thing. Yeah. Or I wonder, I don't know if I would invite this, but what if it were like, what really, what did I, how did I look to you before? Oh like, yeah. What's the difference. Yeah. Man, I don't know. It's it, 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 like, because what she's doing is working, what you're doing, what, what the whole project is about is like, speaking of Sisyphus, mm-hmm. It's like pushing this against this, like, you know, decades old yeah. narrative that everyone has just accepted hook, line and sinker now. Um, but the good news is that the the hard work is where the meaningful work happens, mm-hmm. you know, say, actually, since you're comfortable talking about it, let's really talk about it. Yeah. Like, since you're comfortable commenting on it, let me talk to you about how it happened. Cause I yeah. didn't mean to. Yeah. Right. Even though yeah. like some of it, as she said, did come from a sort of positive place. Yeah. And you have to decide when, I mean, I think like as queer people, we also have to decide when we want to educate and when we just want to take the pass, you know, hundred percent of like, of like, do you have a boyfriend or, you know, do you have a, uh, are you married to a man, you know, and be like, yep. I just don't want to have this conversation today. I don't want to. Which have- one of you is the man? Yeah. Well, take a look at my haircut, Karen. <laughs> I'm the man. <laughs> so stupid. Anything and, else? Well, and we're going to have in the first week of next month, we'll have that special Q&A for our Patreon supporters. Hell for, yeah. So I think that'll be really cool. And we'll, so we'll answer personal questions like that. Yeah, we can answer more personal questions like that. We can also really accept questions from a, on a range of topics on mm-hmm. body love, body positivity, queerness, religion, lots of, lots of giraffes, stuff. whatever you want. Yep. Yeah. First week of February. We have another exciting thing that's happening the first oh, week of February, yes! but I can't. Mm-mm. Okay. No, we're not talking about it yet. No, okay. that's a oh, teaser. One thing. Uh, also, we're going to be on Annie Grace's podcast. <gasps> Annie Grace's podcast. Yes. This Naked Mind Annie Grace's podcast is going to be released on Friday. 
Uh, this coming Friday, the 24th. Woohoo! We're really, we had a great conversation. Yeah. Oh, we just talked and blabbed the whole time. It's pretty much like our, our podcast. I, definitely. It is actually, I think, just us talking the entire time. Yeah. And then every once in a while, Annie being like, it's great. Keep going. <laughs> um, thank you for uh, mentioning that, honey. Okay. Now. It's time for our segments. <laughs> you seem really excited. I'm so excited because this is my f- I think this is my favorite segment. Gay or straight? Are you gay or are you straight? A bunch of words. Are they gay or straight? Ready? Gay me, daddy. Nope. Ready? Go. Kidney beans. Straight. Emeralds. Gay. Bird watching. Oh, gay. Yeah. Zebras. <laughs> gay. Formal dining rooms. Oh, g- gay. Are you just going to be a list of gay? Astrology. Gay. So gay. Astronomy. S- mm, gay. Glaciers. Straight. <gasps> no. Damn it. They're valuable and they're melting. Gay. Vision boards. Straight. The color turquoise. Gay. Straight. Turquoise is straight. <laughs> that was really good. For a second, I was wondering if there were going to be any straight things. But we can also never explain our methodology. No, you this. can't. We can't talk about no. it. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Party City. Gay. Scenic Drives. Gay. Gazebos. Straight. Listen carefully. Finger painting. Listen <laughs> <laughs> carefully. Does it say listen carefully? Okay, okay. Finger painting. <laughs> Straight. Pineapples. Straight. Porcupines. Gay. Open-mindedness. Gay. Bogo sales. Straight. Microsoft Excel. Straight. Cheesy Gordita Crunch. Gay. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, sorry. Oh my god. I just, I just accidentally hit Mary I really hard it. with my notebook. <laughs> Oh my god. That was so it's good. Perfect. Okay. So let's talk about our obsessions. Okay. <laughs> um, you wanna go first, honey? Okay. Anytime this century. Oh <laughs> God. Okay, my first obsession. You know this. It started well, it started yesterday. Oh I'm shit. done. I'm done playing the Sims. What was I playing last week? Uh I can't remember. Oh I, no. I was obsessed with Covet for a long time. I don't think I Whatever you were doing that. was it must have been really in the shadows of shame. No, you know what I think it was? I think it was my habit tracker. Which <laughs> since I've been sick, I can't I'm not like Oh, I've been I I've picked up the slack from that. I've been doing I do it all the time. I'm really jealous. You you've been well, you I, have the flu. I know, but I Be really, patient. I you know. are literally not supposed to do anything other than rest and drink fluids. Yes. And probably pee somewhere other than the bed, but <laughs> we're working on that. <laughs> Um, so I was, you know what? I was like, well, I can't do my habit tracker. So I, um, I thought I want to play a new game. What's one of the highest rated games? Monopoly. Monopoly on the phone? What? What? Don't okay. be crazy. Okay. I guess. I guess I'll Honey, throw a wild chicken in the dark at you, my friend. You know, <laughs> you know, this is the obsession segment, not the lies segment. I know. Right. <laughs> So, throw a chicken at my friend in the dark. <laughs> I threw a pizza crust at our dog's face earlier today. She liked it. 
Um, Monopoly on the phone, though. Can you tell me about it? It is so much fun. I can't stop playing it. We played against each other earlier. We did. And, well, unfortunately, you got kicked off. I'm sorry. But I won. I won in your honor. I got replaced by AI, and it was uncomfortable. I came in and watched it, and it was like somebody else wearing a Wyatt skin suit. I was wrong. It's not okay. Um, But I just love everything about it. Cannot recommend the app highly enough. So much fun. Also, I realized I only played Monopoly like one time when I was younger and I just lost so miserably and I just cried. I hate losing at games because I'm really competitive. But as I've gotten older, I realize I just feel happy no matter what, because if I'm playing with somebody that I like and they win, then I'm happy that they won. Yes. Um, So I never now. Now I'm not very I don't get sad when I lose at games. That's great, baby. It's like it sounds to me. It's like when I put money on the Patriots. Yeah. If they lose, I'm thrilled. If they win, I'm thrilled. You know, it takes the sting out of it. Yeah. Sorry. I had to put it into language I could understand. (laughs) So um, I am. Yeah. So the the Monopoly game has just been really coming in clutch for my sickness. Which which token is your favorite? I'm always the dog. Oh, in, in real life and in the game? Um, I don't know what I, and and so actually you're the first person that I've played Monopoly with as an adult. Oh, really? And when we played, remember I got obsessed. I was like, we have to play (gasps) again. That's why I got excited when I saw it on the phone. I was like, okay. Yeah. You're good at it. You're a shark. I'm not though. Like my first couple times playing the easy computer, I lost it. You're you're developing a strategy. I'm starting. Yeah. I'm starting to get my own strat. And I have, like, two other sort of um, minor obsessions that are, like, background obsessions. I would say Monopoly is primarily taking up most of my bandwidth. Um, but I got a journaling gratitude app. I don't oh, know if I cool. talked about this last time. And so I'm really excited. It's really fun to re- sort of record my mood, to make little notes about, like, what happened during the day. And I just realized as I'm getting older, I'm like, I forgot what we did last week. Like, I forgot yeah. what, what we did three nights ago. Yes, me too. And I want to remember, like, a conversation that, you know, felt particularly poignant. Yeah. Even if it doesn't, you know, you know, we won't remember it 20 years from now. Who but cares? it's kind of nice it's to have it to recorded record it. somewhere. I totally agree. And like, oh, or a recipe that we liked or, I don't know, something cool that happened. So I'm really enjoying my... And, and uh... And at the end of the day, you always say like three things you're, you know, that were amazing or that you're really grateful for. And I, and I just think it's such a neat practice. Yeah. Um, so I'm into that. And the third thing I'm really into and excited about is I am streamlining some career stuff. Very cool. So I'm restructuring some stuff in my um, within the scope of my career, or my team. Yeah. And it just feels really um, it feels really productive and healthy. And and I feel like, I just feel really positive moving, moving forward. Didn't you get, wasn't one of your runes that you drew on New Year's like breakthrough or rebirth or something yeah. like that? I think this is the beginning of, I think so too. I think it's a total, but, and I think that it's like the darkest period is before that big change. Yeah. And there was a period there where you felt like stagnant and like things just kind of weren't going your way. And I think it was just like setting the stage for everything's going to happen this yeah. year. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be huge. Yeah. And I think some of these restructuring things are hard, but Painful. I think it's like, it's, it's been important to do. And I'm I, really proud of you. I just feel really positive. I feel really excited about the next 
you know, the next couple steps forward. I'm really proud of you. And you're and all of this is while you have the flu. It would be really hard to come up with three things you're grateful for on a day you had the flu. Are you kidding me? You, you, I, you know what? I haven't I'm I haven't even mentioned how incredibly kind you've been during oh my god see but this is the thing when you when you talk about this this is just what like this is like the bare minimum i feel like i've been doing the bare minimum no no i just don't think that's true like you have made me every meal you have taken care of the dogs nonstop. you have like you changed the sheets you've done the laundry which you already already do and um you you took care of the snails. You clean all the snail stuff. The house has been clean. I love I have, to do it. I have four beverages beside me at all times. I love to do I, it. You have been keep, keeping my meds coming. It's a blessing that I haven't been working. It's it's like it was meant to happen that way so that I could take care of you. Really That's what you do for your partner. This is like it is a pl- it is genuinely a pleasure. It's not a pleasure that you're sick. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't been perfect. I became a little bit of a butt there because I was I was worried about getting the flu. You're a very good patient. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anything else, honey? No, thank you, Dr. Nightingale. Well, speaking of, I'm putting on a different doctor hat because okay. my obsession, my number one is that the new semester starts tomorrow. Woohoo! So I start teaching on Wednesday. Oh, my God. Y'all are in the future. Yeah. When this the comes out. The day that you are listening to this, I am I might be in front of the classroom meeting my new students while you're listening to this. Whoa. Yeah. And I can't wait to meet my new students. I am back into Professor Wyatt mode. And um, I, in my mind, this is already the semester before I go on sabbatical. So I am just practically like sitting on the beach <laughs> reading for pleasure. My second is a quick one. Um, we just ordered the snails who we just talked about. Um, we ordered the snails, some new food, some new snail mix. And the woman I ordered this stuff from on Etsy has an incredible menu of flavor options. And I'm obsessed with those flavor options. <laughs> the three that we ordered are Spring Meadow, Meat Lovers, and Hibiscus. <laughs> what is Meat Lovers? I don't know. And it doesn't say? No, but... Do you all- think it's like... Well- Aren't snails herbivores? I don't. There's no description of it. But also, everybody on Etsy loves this stuff, and everybody said, "Oh my god, my snail got fucking huge after I started feeding it this." So I can't wait to see how big they get. I'm obsessed with the snails right now. Me too. And I can't talk about why, but they're going to be national. They're going to have a national audience. In a couple of weeks. We can't talk about it? Okay, we'll talk about it next podcast. We have to give them something to come back for. Okay, yeah, there's something very important you have to listen to next episode. My last obsession, I was talking to Mary about this earlier, is um, one of my very favorite magazine writers, Pamela Koloff, who I'm just, I've been obsessed with since I was like in high school. She used to write for Texas Monthly and she now writes for the New York Times Magazine. And I just got around to reading it, but she did this two-part series in the New York Times Magazine called Blood Will Tell. And um, I'll put a link for it up on our resources, but I can't recommend it highly enough. So I'm, I'm of course, on this, like, reading about crime kick, but it's it's worth it even if you have no interest in that just because Pamela Koloff is just such an incredible writer and she crafts the story so beautifully. Um, but it is about uh, this guy who it, it seems like has spent like three decades in prison for something he didn't do. And um, what could exonerate him is the weakness of a particular type of forensic evidence. Um, And uh, Koloff goes into like law enforcement training to learn how to interpret crime, crime scenes and gets this like on the ground view of how 
really flawed this particular type of evidence is, um, or the analysis of this kind of evidence and, um, is like really pushing for it to be, um, rendered inadmissible, um, just cause it's so, there are so many people who are in, in prison because of this type of evidence. So if you have any interest in that or just in really good writing, um, blood will tell by Pamela Koloff is really good. Yeah. You showed me part of it and I'm just, it was really, really fascinating. Interesting. Really, like, sad too. When you think about all people, all the kind of people, all the kinds of people in the world that have been like yeah. wrongfully incarcerated. Yeah. And one of the things I keep thinking about as I'm interested in, uh, because, you know, I'm not really interested in I, I I really do like the stories, but I'm interested in the stories about people being poisoned. I realize while you're, you're sick, it's probably not a good time to talk about my fascination with poisoning people. <laughs> I don't want to create any suspicion, um, <laughs> but I like that stuff. But I'm really more interested in like the legal aspect and the courtroom drama mm-hmm. and the way that when trials take place, it's just like a battle of storytellers. It's like who can put this information together in a right. way that is for whatever reason, most persuasive to an audience. That's all it is. Right. It's, it's, it's rhetoric, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so I think it's interesting to think of like forensic evidence as just being one component of that. It doesn't necessarily speak for itself. I think DNA evidence maybe, um, but other types of evidence where you're just piecing a story together. And the whole philosophy that I operate on is it should be really, really hard for the state to put you away for something, whether mm-hmm. it's something, you know, as sexy and interesting as murder or something else like, you know, drug possession or any of the other things that, um, you know, people are incarcerated for. That should be incredibly difficult. Like the burden of proof should be really, really high. And if it isn't, it should scare you because you could be a victim of it just as much as all these other people. Right. So holding our justice system to a high standard is just, I think. Oh, I think it's so it's so interesting. And again, if you just like nonfiction, like really good magazine journalism, she is just one of the incredibly decorated list of alums of Texas Monthly who have gone on to do incredible things. And I've always loved her writing about about um, like kind of more grisly topics. She just feels like when we went to the symphony and there was like that conductor who just had everything. It just this whole group of musicians and just perfect alignment and knew the emotional core of the piece and could communicate that to everybody else and say, look over here, this is what's important. Or I need this to swell right at this moment so people can feel something. Um, I just think she, she writes that way. And I just love seeing people who can write that way. Wow. Yeah. That's it for my session. Great. And also we should point out that forensic files is, Done. Dead. Yeah. I actually have cycled in and out of an obsession since we last recorded. Oh, yeah. Wendover. Yeah. Wendover Productions. I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but it was just, it's this guy who makes videos about like, uh, mostly about like airlines, like logistics, shipping. And I was into it to the point where like I was falling asleep to Wendover Productions videos for like two or three nights. How and many, now I'm how done. How many videos do you think? I, you at least 70. But now I never want to talk about it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Never again. But I I watched a few and I was really fascinated. I, I feel like I kind of like I feel like I can build a jet engine. <laughs> you can. I think I I think I can. I, you know what? I learned about um, embassies and Antarctica I don't want to talk about Wendover Productions anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, you look genuinely stressed out. <laughs> okay, baby. Do you want to do our poems? 
Okay, let's get you to bed. Let's wrap you up like a little burrito and get you some hot liquids or some cold liquids. I'm, I'm going to put a hot liquid by your bed, stick your hand in it tonight, see if you pee your pants. <laughs> it will be just my luck. I'll finally get what I've wanted. Speaking of that, what? Alexa, test my luck. You are very unlucky today. <laughs> Do you have enough juice in your Capri Sun pouch to read your poem? Yeah. Perfect. Do you want to go first? Um, I have to pull it up. Oh, don't you can't. I have. Immu- think I don't want to rest. I have immunity because I am sick. Mary wins immunity. Oh, my God. Bachelor's on. Oh, my God. After this. OK, I'm going to fall asleep to Bachelor. <laughs> Pregnancy brain. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. In a way, you're pregnant with the flu virus. <laughs> have I told you about that? Um, like they've they've studied how viruses, how they act on their hosts. And um, it's shown that, like, when you have a virus before you're symptomatic, you feel really Maybe social. Because, like, hijacking your brain chemicals and wants you to go out and spread it. Yeah. That's fucking cool. You've heard me read this poem a ton. I am obsessed with this poem. I'm so obsessed with this poem that I um, that I was inspired by the title of it and sort of the overall mood of it. And I wrote a song called not ready to die yet on my album. So this is a poem by Aracelis Gourmet called I am not ready to die yet. And, um, Aracelis wrote this inspired by Joy Harjo, Joy Harjo's poem, which I think has the same title, but anyway, so this is, um, Aracelis Gourmet and her, I think it's from this collection called kingdom and Amalia. Mm-hmm. And I cannot recommend that book enough. It is, it is just some of the most gorgeous writing and she's just such a phenomenal writer. And I remember I was scared when I, when I, I realized I was, I was about to release my album. I was about to release grief creature. And I was like, Oh my God, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't ask permission from Aracelis or, or joy Harjo. And I started really freaking out and I was, um, so I sent them both, I reached out to both of them and I was like, listen, I, I, I took the concept of not ready to die yet. And I turned it into a song and, and both of them were like, well, did you use any of our, in our, our, any of, you know, the text? And I was like, no, no, like we, we didn't come up with, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. but I just, it felt so important to acknowledge. And I, and I love that I get an opportunity to. That's cool. It's like this. a lineage. It's like a, it's like, it's being like passed along. Yeah. Different poets. It's yes. really neat. Okay. So lots of preamble, but this is, I am not ready to die yet by Aracelis Gourmet. I am not ready to die yet. Magnolia tree going wild outside my kitchen window. And the dog needs a house. And by the way, I just met you. My sisters and I have things to do. And I need to talk on the phone with my brother. Plant a tree. And all the things I said I'd get better at. In other words, I'm not ready to die yet. Because didn't we say we'd have a picnic? The first hot day. I mean, the first really, really hot day. Takaria. And swim. Kin. And muscle and friend, don't you go, go, no. Today we saw the dead bird and stopped for it. And the airplanes glided above us. Mm. And the wind lifted the dead bird's feathers. I am not ready to die yet. I want to live longer knowing that wind still moves a dead bird's feathers. Mm. Wind doesn't move over and say that thing can't fly. Mm. Don't go there. 
it's dead. No, it just blows and blows, lifting what it can. I am not ready to die yet, no. I want to live longer. I want to love you longer, say it again. I want to love you longer and sing that song again and get pummeled by the sea and come up breathing and hot sun and those walks and those kids and hard laugh, clap your hands. I am not ready to die yet. Give me more dreams to taste the fig, to hear the coyote closer. I am not ready to die yet. But when I go, I'll go knowing there will be a next time. I want to be like the cactus fields I drove through in Arizona. If I am a cactus, be the cactus I grow next to. Mm -hmm. Arms up. Every day, let me face you. Every day of my cactus life. And when I go or you go, let me see you again somewhere. Or you see me. Is that you, old friend, my love? You might say while swimming in some ocean to the small fish at your ankle. Or weren't you my sister once? I might say to the sad brown dog who follows me down the street. Or to the small boy or old woman or horse eye or to the tree. I know I knew I know you too. I'm saying, could this be what makes me stop in front of that dogwood, train whistle, those curtains blowing in that window? See now, there go some eyes you knew once, riding the legs of another animal, wearing its blue sky magnolia, wearing its bear or fine wolf wolf suit. Mm -hmm. See, somewhere in the night a mouth is singing. You remind me, you remind me and the heart flips over in the dusky sea of its chest, like a fish signaling, yes, yes, it was me, and yes, it was, and you were there and are here now. Yes, honey, yes, Hive, yes, I will. Jack, see you again, even if it's a lie, don't let me know. Not yet, not ever, I need to think. I'll see you, oh, see you again. Oh, wow, oh, it's so beautiful. Just don't ever write uh, you can't you no one can ever write a poem again it's so beautiful and so sad and just so oh it's so incredible i love you and i'm so glad that, that poem exists and that you're keeping its lineage going thank you baby i love that one i, can't I followed wait to along with you and it's it's just looks isn't like, it the format of it is really cool really too. beautiful i like the form um i'm reading a poem by Ilya kaminsky who is a ukrainian jewish american Poet who is, um, have you heard of him? I think the name sounds really familiar. It sounds familiar. Um, and he is also, and this is a theme in a lot of his work, he is um, hard of hearing and he wrote a collection last year or released a collection last year called Deaf Republic. Cool. And this is a poem from that. Such is a story made of stubbornness and a little air, a story sung by those who have danced before the Lord in quiet, who whirled and leapt, giving voice to consonants that rise with no protection but each other's ears. We are on our bellies in this silence, Lord. Mm. Let us wash our faces in the wind and forget the strict shapes of affection. Let the pregnant woman hold something of clay in her hand. Mm. For the secret of patience is his wife's patience. Let her man kneel on the roof, clearing his throat. He who loved roofs tonight and tonight, making love to her and her forgetting. A man with a fast heartbeat, a woman dancing with a broom, uneven breath. Mm. Let them borrow the light from the blind. Let them kiss your forehead approached from every angle. 
What is silence? Something of the sky in us. Oh. There will be evidence. There will be evidence. Let them speak of air and its necessities. Whatever they will open will open. Oh, I love that. Isn't that pretty? It's gorgeous. I like it too. It's Oh, it's like a painting. Yeah, there's a lot of um yeah, it's visually really neat, huh? Yeah, which is surprising me because I don't feel like it's like um, it's not super illustrative. Like it's no. not a lot of like the blue thing. Right, you know? right. There's not a lot of description in it. But I feel so I feel like I'm there. You can see so much of it. Yeah. yeah. It's really a lot of a lot of the poems in it are like are um kind of like meditations on on the idea of silence and quiet. And I it's love really that. interesting. We have two whining dogs. They're driving me absolutely crazy. And you need to sleep. So I think it's a good idea for us to sign off. Yeah, we have to wrap it up. So, Manic Fam, we've loved this. Yeah. This has been a really good episode, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, I think so, too. It's just every episode, I'm like, okay, this is my favorite one. Yeah, this is, I, no, but this one for real is my favorite. This is awesome. Um, Manic Fam, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thinking of a clever way to sign off. <laughs> That's not how we say goodbye. This is how, how we, we say, say goodbye. goodbye. Hey, <laughs> say it again now. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Yes, he is. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Um, I want to take a minute or two to give much respect to the we. Need to say good night to, to Hey Soul Sister. <laughs> All right, Thanks, guys. Yeah, we love you so much. Bye. <laughs> Bye.